Welcome to the Good Shepherd and the Child podcast, where we explore the spirituality of the Christian child through the method of catechesis of the Good Shepherd. I am your host, Carrie Mecki Lozano. Happy Easter, friends. Alleluia, alleluia. I am very excited today to welcome Joanne Paget onto the podcast to speak about this beautiful Easter season, to speak about this central proclamation of our faith that Christ has died and Christ is risen, and how we proclaim that great mystery in our work with the children in Catechesis of the Good Shepherd and what that has revealed to us. My wish is that this episode enhances this Easter season for you. I hope you enjoy. Joanne, welcome to the Good Shepherd and the Child podcast. Thank you. This is very exciting. I'm happy to be here with you. It is very exciting. I've heard so much about you, and I'm excited to get to know you better myself. Oh, that's nice. (laughs) It was all good things, I promise. Oh, good. (laughs) Well, tell us a little from your own mouth. Tell us a little bit about who you are, Joanne, and how you got involved with Catechesis of the Good Shepherd. All right. Well, I got involved in Catechesis of the Good Shepherd 35 years ago, and I can always remember the exact number of years because it's my son's age. I began when he was an (laughs) infant. And I began in Houston, Texas. And um, I was at a rather large church down there. And I had some friends. We were involved in an at-home Bible study. And one of our uh, members went off to a national training with her five children in tow. And came back and said, ladies, I want to show you something, and gave us the first presentation on baptism. All of us had changed every one of our lives, and we began, we got permission to begin an atrium in the basement of the church, but within a year, everybody had heard of it, and it exploded very quickly over the next few years into all three levels. And I was very fortunate the church sent me off um, to these trainings, and that was back in the day you had to go to a national training, with exception of very, unless you wanted to go to Italy, or there were a few other options. And you had to take your camera and your typewriter and your, I mean, whatever, you know, and no books, there was no material manual. So you stayed up all night, you know, everybody can tell you right. the, the stories. Anyway, I began just as a volunteer and didn't know it was going to really become such a large and blessed part of my life. Ended up moving up to Colorado, and they were in desperate need of formation leaders. And so I was asked, would you consider this? And I did, and another great blessing came my way. And I counted up. I've done something like maybe some 50 formation courses at this point. Wow. I know it's been a very busy couple of decades. Over all three years, over all three levels? Yes, yes. Wow. And what a blessing. I mean, working with the children, but working with the adults who are attracted to this, this work has been amazing you just meet beautiful wonderful people is in this work as mm-hmm. you as you have learned yourself and then mm-hmm. I served on the board for a couple of terms and have helped out with the the journal and am currently doing that again so 
I have longtime friends in this work, and it is a treasure. Lots and lots of love and service that you've given us. We so appreciate all of that. I love hearing about how y'all did formation. So in back, what was that, in the 90s? Yeah, I began in the late 80s. Late 80s, yeah. Yeah. So I love hearing about the formation. Yeah, before, because I won, because it makes us appreciate all that CGS USA has given us, like the material manual and the translations of the books and all these things, because it has made our life so much easier in formation today. Holy cow, because y'all had to take pictures of the materials and measure like how big was this and write it all down so that then you can go home and try and replicate that material exactly and... Y'all, y'all are definitely pioneers, and it's probably why the work, because you had to really sweat for this, why the work has sustained because of how hard y'all had to work for it. It's just, I appreciate it, and I love hearing those stories. Yeah, well, what's amazing to me is, yes, it was very challenging, but it was, no, nobody even, no matter how hard it was, you wanted to do it. You, yeah, I mean, the Holy yeah. Spirit was, and is still at work, in this work, I'm, I am just convinced, and the longer I'm in this yeah. work, I know it's true because people, and if you're called into it, you are called into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Hook, line, and sinker, right? Yes. Like you're you're hooked and you're in. Yeah. <laughs> There's no questioning it anymore. I agree. I think the Holy Spirit is totally moving in this work. And, and I think all of that sweat and hard work has built this beautiful community that yeah. we're a part of. Praise be to God. Okay. So this episode is coming out right after Easter, which I love telling the children about this great feast of Easter and how it's even, you know, overshadows Christmas because especially like the level two, level three child and because that's such a boggle to them because in our, our secular world, Christmas is such a huge deal. So like this idea that this central proclamation is Christ's death and resurrection so I would love to kind of ponder this with you in this beautiful season of Easter about Easter, about this central proclamation of our faith and how we in Catechesis of the Good Shepherd address that central proclamation. Yeah. Well, of course, it permeates the entire life of the atrium at all levels. I was thinking about this and I realized the very first time we meet in the atrium with the youngest child, we meet in the prayer corner. And what do we place on that prayer table but a cross or a crucifix? And there it is. I mean, that's the, the, the drumbeat of the whole symphony <laughs> that is going to unfold. And then just within a few weeks, we introduce them to the basic articles of the altar. And again, there it is. We place on the table, well, this is Jesus's table, and this is his sign. And what do we place? We place a crucifix. And you really think about it, well, there it is. That's the heart of Christianity, is the sign of Jesus. It's a crucifix. And why is it so central? Well, when we place it there the first time, all we are doing is saying, this is, this is, you know, this is a patent, this is a chalice, this is an altar cloth, you know, and these are candles. But we do say, this is a crucifix, the sign of Jesus. And the children just take it in at this age. This is the, the first plane of development. And we say, this is, this is, and they take it in and they accept the language. But 
I was always intrigued by what Gobi said in her book when she wrote it. Uh, they're really, um, we go on and on, you know, to add language as we go on, but there really was, they first said there's no doctrinal content to this presentation, it's simply nomenclature. And yet that did not turn out to be the case, that the children receive this presentation at a very deep level, and they just seem to know instinctively something very important is going on here. And of course, as we add language, we, we say it more clearly. Uh, this is a patent, it holds the bread. And at some point we say, the body of Jesus. This is a chalice. It holds the wine. And at some point we say, it's the blood of Jesus. Well, there you have sacrifice. And again, the children are accepting it and not understanding, of course, the idea of sacrifice. But somehow in their inner being, they know this is something very important. And I have watched this so many times. They get very quiet and very still. They know there's mm -hmm. something important going on here. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then we get to the point eventually where we'll make the, the, the proclamation, the heart of our faith. Christ has died. Christ has risen. And we might say Christ will come again at some point. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, of course, after that, and, and there we are, right at the beginning, very beginning of our life in the atrium. And um, that's a deep mystery. Um, so what's going to happen over the years is we are going to be looking at that again and again. And um, I love this language of the spiral method. That's kind of the beginning of it, but it, we keep going. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot more material, of course, um, over the years that announces Paschal Mystery. Rebecca Roshevitz has given us this beautiful book, Life in the Vine, in which she mm -hmm. takes each of these, um, these categories, these subjects, and she really does lay it out for us. And so those of us who are involved in the work will recognize the names of some of this work. But um, for those who are not involved in the work, I, I'll just sort of go over it uh, just briefly. Mm -hmm. uh, we have a uh, work around the I am statement of Jesus. I am the good shepherd. And of course, there is Paschal language in there. I lay down my life for the sheep. And then there is a model of the city of Jerusalem in which we announce the final, the, um, the final days of Jesus and his life, the, the beginning with the Last Supper. We have work specifically on the Last Supper and how he said these great words of love for the first time. And we have a work on the, uh, the empty tomb, the finding of the tomb, and it's empty because he has risen. And it, it goes on from there. So it's all, of course, at level one, very concrete. We make the proclamation using the materials, and then we get out of the way, and they, and they sit with it. I just love how in Catechesis of the Good Shepherd, there's always the proclamation of his death and resurrection. We never separate the two. Like it, this is one, they, they complete each other. 
You cannot have, one does not fully make sense without the other. We do not proclaim Jesus has died without also saying that Jesus has risen and vice versa. They just fit. They just are a complete event within itself. And so I I just love that, that we even start that even with the youngest children, you know, we're lighting those altar candles and we say, Christ has died and Christ has risen. Never do we separate the two. Exactly. It's just so beautiful how you can find that proclamation when you start looking for it in everything that we do. It really is the central proclamation of our faith because it is in everything. Yes, yes, it really is. And um, and 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 all, what's also been interesting to me is to watch how the proclamation grows in the child. You know, I'm thinking about at level one, again, I described this, okay, this is a crucifix. This is the bread. It's the body of Jesus. And they just take it in, but they get so quiet and they love to come back to it. And at the age of four, we know the child begins to be aware of the reality of death. And I have had many moments when presenting the cynical where all of a sudden the child will really react, oh my, he really did die. And and it's so interesting how consistently that moment comes at the cynical, at that, that announcement of his, this is our true direct announcement of the death and the resurrection. And then at level two, I start to get these reactions very often. I had one just recently, in fact, this past Sunday, where I was representing the cynical again to the level two child. It was, we were going to be start presenting the origin of the mass. And all of a sudden the child stops and says, I didn't realize it was so unfair and so brutal. Mm. <laughs> and but that I mean that is an example. But I have seen that again and again. This this um, he was arrested. Mm-hmm. That's not fair. That's not right. You know, such a level two child. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And then I also remember um, this was way back when Star. I mean, I've been in the work a long time, right? This was way back when the Star Wars movies were out, and the Force was very much in the <laughs> in the conversation of the children, <laughs> and and so you also get not only you have this recognition of a death, and it's an unfair death, but all of a sudden, I was working with a group of children, and they stopped and they said, "Wait a minute." he rose. <laughs> it's like they had been hearing that for years, but all of a sudden they realized, wait a minute, this is impossible. And they started having this conversation about how it could have happened. And they brought in the idea, maybe the force mm. was somehow involved in this. And I love these moments where we bring in you know, the greater culture into the atrium because it's a teachable moment, right? Sure. <laughs> and so, so I said, well, I'm not sure that's what the Bible says. Let's read it again. So we repeated the reading. I said, what does it sound like to you? Well, um, there was an a- angel who came and moved. Anyway, we had this beautiful discussion and they really realized something very impossible happened. 
And it wasn't a natural cause. And it mm. wasn't certainly the force that, <laughs> <laughs> and, or the forces they were defining it. Right. Certainly right. The force. Yeah. Yeah. So um, it's just interesting to watch how this basic proclamation that they just know in their heart there's something important here, you know, comes and bumps up against reality as they are learning it as, yeah. as they grow up. This yeah. Lent I recently did. Multiple, I had multiple of my older level one kids be drawn to the empty tomb. And so I think probably three different times I one-on-one presented that with these older kids. And um, the word Jesus rose, that the phrasing of that seemed to really, like they, I could tell that they didn't fully understand um, what I was saying. So I'm really excited to do the baptism work with them right after Easter because I think that the visual that we give of that central proclamation with the candles is going to help them see that the light will never go out again. And that is what we mean. You know, like the, you just, I love then you have that sim- central proclamation that's just everywhere, everywhere yeah. in what we do and helps the kids. So like you're saying, helps them kind of ponder it against what they understand and what they already intuitively know, but help them kind of ponder it and make sense of it like what exactly does that mean he rose he rose like he's up in the sky somewhere like what does that mean yes exactly i think we take i think we have heard these words so much that we kind of gloss over them now you know like it takes seeing the kids have to percolate with that word for me to go yeah what let's think about that one word what does that really mean i love that yeah lovely (laughs) yes So this proclamation that Jesus died and Jesus rose, that, I mean, you were saying we have heard that those words so many times. Mm -hmm. And so what are we understanding from it? And the children, of course, our work with the children, keep us at that level of going back to the child's and hearing it again, afresh and anew. And I like to ask, as we all do, you know, at some point, um, why did this happen? Why did he rise from the dead? Why did he die? Mm. And 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 the I would say the majority of the responses is something like because Jesus loves us. Mm. Okay, Jesus loves us, and this is of course fundamentally and beautifully true. But as an adult, you start to ask, well, why did he have to love us this way? I mean, it's an interesting way if you think yeah, about it. Yeah. And then some children, I, you know, they've heard this before, so they'll just tell us that he died for our sins. And um, they've heard this. This is so. And I, I always would think, well, how, what are they understanding from that? You know, do they understand that he died for our sins? And of course, the young ones, I mean, they don't even understand the concept of sin yet, you know. Right. And then I think, well, do I really fully understand this? And, you know, or do any of us really fully understand that Jesus died for our sins? And I would say probably not and won't until one day, you know. And um, there's been reams and reams and reams of stuff written about this, right, over the centuries, Mm -hmm. spoken and written about trying to understand this Paschal mystery. And I have just come to the conclusion it's just kind of best to come back to the simple words of the creed 
you know, that announced a historical event. It happened, and there it is. And we sit pondering why over, over the years. But um, the beautiful thing in the atrium is there is the great answer before we fully understand sin and the ramifications of that is that it unleashed a great gift upon humankind, a great gift. And in the level one atrium and course beyond, we announce this gift in so many wonderful ways in the atrium. And one way we do it is we ponder Jesus's words in the great I am statement, I am the good shepherd. Mm -hmm. He says, I lay down my life for the sheep. And we say, well, this means he gives them all of his time, all of his care, everything he has to give, he gives them. And then later, as you know, we announce this includes, we specifically at level two announced he died for us. Okay. And why did he do this? He tells us very clearly in this I am statement, so we may have abundant life. Mm-hmm. And again, the children just in level one, they just abundant life. And they, and they just accept it. And they can say a few things about it. But over time, what does this abundant life really mean? And as we get particularly into older and older and older, and I've done a lot of work with the level three child, and um, how does that contrast and compare to the life we have now? And what is this life? And what is the source of this life? And it's it's a great mystery we ponder for years. Mm-hmm. The other um, announcement in the level one atrium and beyond is that we talk the parable of the grain of wheat, the mystery of life and death, that unless this seed dies, uh, it won't produce the much fruit. Again, this outpouring of gift, this abundant fruit, the, the death of the one seed. And of course, in the liturgy of the light, we light from the Paschal candle, all of the candles in this life just grows and spreads. And as you were talking about how you're looking forward to giving the the presentation of baptism, where it's a real tangible lighting of our own Paschal candle, and what kind of light is this? It's a light that can overcome the darkness. Mm -hmm. It's a light that can't be snuffed out. It's a life that cannot, that overcomes the death. It's not it's, it's a light that's not like the light that can be turned off in our ceiling. <laughs> it's, right. it's a light that cannot be overcome. Okay. And then, of course, the, uh, in the Eucharistic presence, the great gift of the life of the risen Christ in the Eucharist. And Sophia talks to us, when it, Sophia Cavaletti being one of the founders of our methodology, um, tells us a very young child accepts with great joy the Eucharist as the sacrament of the gift, mm. our greatest gift. I love that. I love that so much. I love that we proclaim Jesus' death and resurrection and all that is connected with it as gift. I think so often... Um, I think especially as adults, we kind of hone in on the sacrifice side of it, which is so beautifully there, which is part of the gift. But 
especially with the level one child, it is all love. It is all gift. It is all just relationship. And that's just so pure and essential. And I love that the child has brought us back to that, um, to that complete joy that is in this great gift, the sacrament of gift that he is giving us within his death and resurrection. It's just so, it's just so hopeful and positive. I just, I love that so much. Yeah. And of course, we um, we have to move on. <laughs> right, right. So the second <laughs> plane child. <laughs> yes. And because, again, we ask, why does Jesus have to die on a cross for this to happen? Mm-hmm. And so we know something very serious is going on, something very serious. And we begin to address this when the children enter the second plane of development around the age of six. And of course, we know they have many new abilities, Mm -hmm. but one of those is the child becomes more acutely aware that something is not right in the world. And this is when we start to directly address with them the presence of evil. And one new way we do this is by adding the verses about in the um, I am statement of I am the good shepherd by adding the verses about a hired hand who runs away from the sheep because there's a wolf Mm -hmm. that comes. And this wolf causes much damage to the sheep, but Jesus is not a hired hand. He is, these sheep are his. And so he lays down his life for them because he wants them to have this abundant life. Okay. And, that is a great announcement, and the, the children are very interested in this meditation on the wolf. What could he stand for? This, and of course, we know they just dismiss the hired hand. I mean, he is not of interest to them. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just off with him, you know. And um, he's not worthy. Not worthy. <laughs> and um, and then we also talk about. Um, their 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 growing sense of what we're talking about is their growing sense of m- morality, right. and so they ha- they start to see things that they know should not happen, and they have this great sense of justice, and it's bothered by this, and they become very interested in what is right and what is wrong, and I remember reading one time an explanation of you know we talk about how it's a time when they start tattling, telling right. on each other, and the reason I was told, and I think this is very true, is that they are trying to figure out what is acceptable, what is right, what is wrong. And they want to see your reaction to the fact that that child is doing something they think is wrong. Mm-hmm. And so they're really not necessarily trying to get that child in trouble. They're trying to understand this situation where something wrong is happening and what is our reaction to it. Mm-hmm. And so gradually, and it's very gradually, they begin to realize they themselves might not always behave in a way they wish they would, and that they have to they are becoming responsible for making some decisions about their own behavior, and it's often very hard. Mm-hmm. And so they've heard that the sheep follow the good shepherd. And what does that really mean in their own lives? 
They just take it in at level one. We follow the Good Shepherd. We love the Good Shepherd. But what does this really mean in reality as we grow older and we have to make decisions? So we start to look at certain moral parables and teachings of Jesus that say, this is the way. This is how you follow me. And of course, we acknowledge that sometimes we may fail, but yet we have this beautiful parable of a sheep that gets lost and what the Good Shepherd does to to find the sheep. He looks for it. How long? Until he finds it. Mm-hmm. And it's also, depending on the denomination, the age at which um, they are prepared for first confession, it's a need of a child, no matter what denomination they're in, to directly address the issue of evil at this age. Yeah. yeah I think it's important for us to kind of highlight that you said addressing the evil really does not happen before six and some kids even seven they're just so much in that gift and relationship before that that we don't need to talk to them about evil but like you said as they move into the second plane they're in this sensitive period for morality that they want to understand good versus evil they start asking questions they start tattling and assessing what is right and wrong. I think it's important for us to understand those planes of development when it comes to morality so that we don't introduce to the children um, the hired hand or the evil in the world. And uh, I mean, we could talk about just that for a while, but um, because of course it's more complicated than that just being black and white. But I think it is helpful for us to kind of understand that we don't need to introduce or highlight that aspect of our faith to the very young child. And um, they're ready for it at six and sometimes even seven. You know, every child is very different. No, it's true. And I mean, it's very not not unusual at all. I've become accustomed to hearing this when we do start to prepare them for some kind of examination of conscience, no matter what you know tradition you're in, and start to look at yourself I specifically remember one seven-year-old girl, and she just sat there, and she's off for a long time, and she said, I just can't think of anything I've done wrong. Yeah. <laughs> and beautiful. Go, girl. Yeah. You know? <laughs> she's so sitting in the gift right now. Yes. You know, like, yeah. why do we push them out of that? No. Totally. Because we will come to it on our own yeah. without being pushed. I mean, it just, yeah. it, it, it. It comes to that. And, you know, of course, in level three, we do a whole meditation uh, called the Armor of Light Meditations, Mm -hmm. where we are told, we are read Paul's statement, put on the armor of light. We are children of light. So put on the armor of light. And we go back and do, again, a more developed examination of of conscience. And it's such a different examination with that. Yeah. nine to 12 year old than yes. a six to nine year old like they yes. they just have very much developed into that moral plane a, a little bit more it's talking to a whole different child yeah 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 and, and of course the other thing that happens in the second plane of development is they have this awareness now of time right. and the greater world beyond their own world and so we give them the story of salvation of course, central to that story, we talk about how God created and this beautiful created world, and it unfolds, you know, over time in a state of journeying, this gradual development. And we know where it's going to Perusia, which is a time when God will be all in all, and what that means 
you know, no death, total happiness, but right in the center, you know, before we can get to Perusia from creation is this moment called redemption, of course, is what we're talking about right now. And this gives us a fuller meaning of Jesus's words, he has come to bring us abundant life. And without Jesus and what he did for us, this work he did of redemption, we could not get to Perusia. We cannot have this abundant life he wants to bring to us. And, and it's a very interesting moment with the children because I will really stress that point. Without this, Perusia can't happen. Without mm-hmm. this, we can't have abundant life. And that's a deep mystery. Again, we go back to why, you know? Why did it have to involve a death on a cross? We understand the resurrection part, right? You know? But something something has to die first, okay? And and it and it is a, a deep mystery. And something new happened in creation when this happened. There's something new and different. And of course, in level three, we really look at we look at something called the plan of God, in which we are told because. And the children just love this realization that when somebody invents something in world in the world, for instance, way back, whoever invented the wheel, it's not done in isolation. Mm-hmm. That we have, we are connected somehow. We call it these horizontal bridges that connect us. And so that person, whoever he was or she, that invented the first wheel. How many people since then? owe a debt of gratitude to that person and are somehow connected to that person's invention. And we go on and list the many ways in which wheels have been used through the centuries and and today. But then we have in this work a presence of a yellow line that goes across the top. And the children start to look at that. And what does that mean? And it represents, of course, God's presence throughout all of this. Nothing is just happening just like a a clock that's unwinding or something, he's present. And there's this other, though, connection. There's this other bridge that God wants us to have. And at the moment of redemption on this timeline is this great downpouring of that yellow line. And it's that vertical connection that we have because of this moment of redemption something has very much changed in creation. Mm-hmm. There is a new life, something very different. So we began, you and I, when we were talking about where we might go in this podcast, we both had turned to Sophia Cavaletti's book, The History of the Kingdom of God, Part One. Mm-hmm. And we both had gone to her chapter on the death and resurrection. And so... And we were both struck with uh, her statement. Her, her. She's talking about Paul, and um, in Corinthians, First Corinthians, fifteen. And then she goes on, and she, toward the end of the chapter, she says this: Paul clearly states that Christ died for our sins. She also points out it's both Jews and Gentiles that are involved in cru- crucifying Jesus. That means we are all somehow responsible for this. And this is a very heavy teaching, but in my opinion, it's something that the catechesis of the Good Shepherd handles 
very well. And it's a gradual approach that brings us to a moment of recognition of who we are in relation to God that begins with the most important message that God loves us. Mm -hmm. We investigate this announcement in many ways and for quite some time, and that invites the children and us along with them to begin to love God more and more in return. And only after this are we ready to receive Jesus' teachings on how we are to live as teachings that help us follow him on the right path, on the right road toward abundant life. And it also gives us time to feel enough confidence in God's love that we can admit to ourselves and to each other and to God especially that we are so weak and we need God's help in a very essential way. So um, why did Jesus have to die? Okay, our sins are heavy. He wants us to have abundant life. And I've worked with children at all three levels and I have watched this development of a moral conscience as it unfolds. And again, to just go over from the youngest, we give them that, we put that cross down there, we put that crucifix down there, and they get very still and quiet, and they instinctively know something of great importance is being announced. And um, then we've watched this development through level two, this gradual development of our responsibility somehow in this need for Jesus to do what he did. And uh, I had the great pleasure of having a few children stay around in level three who had been through Catechesis of the Good Shepherd and wanted to just stay on a few more years mm -hmm. into the, the middle school age. Mm -hmm. And what I noticed, and it's limited experience at that age, um, but very consistently, it's like they somehow really took in the seriousness of what is going on. And I remember one particular little 13-year-old boy, and we were rereading the parable of the wedding feast. And at the conclusion of that parable, we hear these terrible words of the king to throw the guest who had arrived without a wedding garment into the outer darkness. And I have read this with children, and they just take it in as being... This is, there's a sense of justice here. This is something right. But this child li literally gasped. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and, and I, and all of the people that have been in the formation courses that I have been involved in, all of us adults, it, it was the adult reaction to that moment of an inward gasp, maybe even that mm -hmm. he was an, an audible gasp. And, um, it's a response of someone who's lived long enough to know that for sure something's not right with the world and sometimes too often with us and that somehow we have a responsibility toward God in this. Okay. And so, um, the few adolescent children that have stayed with me, but also just my experience with training adults, we develop a moral conscience into, um, 
it, it develops into a serious reckoning with the self, a serious realization of the state of things. Mm-hmm. But what's so beautiful about Catechesis of the Good Shepherd and these children who come up in Catechesis of the Good Shepherd, before they get to that moment, they have heard the first announcements of God's love. Mm. And it's a merciful love that he goes to all extent possible to that we so we receive this abundant life. Mm-hmm. And I've also seen adults change by going back and going through this process in their trainings for the various levels. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like a healing in, in many cases right. of, of our dealing with our own sins. Because it is a, I mean, I, it sounds maybe a little extreme, but there is that moment in our life, if you live long enough, I mean, where we have to come to the point where we may have to say, oh, I have just been the hired hand. Mm-hmm. Or even worse, I think I'm being the wolf right now. <laughs> mm. yeah. And But this message that God's love and life and light overcomes all the evil, all the death, all the darkness, gives us great hope, of course, and, and, and a place to go. So um, I just... Um, I would like to go back to Sophia's chapter that we were talking about earlier. And this is a quote from her um, book. You can find it on page 183. The world would have remained fractured had the blood of Christ not erased the sin that caused a chasm at the center of the universe. Christ bore this rupture within himself during his earthly life due to his existence in the flesh. Yet with his death and resurrection, He himself abolished this conflict, and in rising above all things, he himself reunited all things that were separated. It's the heart of our Christian message, and that it required the blood of Christ to heal the fracture (laughs) is a deep mystery, but my experience in Catechesis of the Good Shepherd over these last 35 years has convinced me that our approach to this mystery bears fruit and both the children and the adults who were blessed to be involved in this work with. Yeah. I, if you'll indulge me a minute, I'd like to end with just, um, we're talking about Easter. Mm-hmm. I, uh, my father w- was raised Russian Orthodox. And so every Easter, this was beautiful. I, I, as the older I get, the more I, I really appreciate it. And many of you have heard this, but he would greet us every morning. The first thing he would say, Christ is risen, hallelujah. And we were taught, the response was, he is risen indeed. Alleluia, alleluia. Mm. um, So there it is. (laughs) That's so beautiful. So many big, big mysteries for us to just kind of sit with and ponder how great they really are, but all rooted in that um, merciful love that you were speaking about. So beautiful. Thank you, Joanne. Thank you so much for just kind of helping us sit with this mystery of this Easter season of this great proclamation a little bit um, so that we can really enter into this Easter season. Thank you. Well, thank you very much for allowing to entering into a meditation with me over this beautiful time. Yeah. Yeah. You're such a gift to this work and I really appreciate you taking the time to be with us. Well, thank you very much. It's all gift, isn't it? (laughs) It is. It is all gift. 
Thank you all for listening to this week's episode of the Good Shepherd and the Child podcast. In our show notes, I have links for the History of the Kingdom of God, Part 1. If you are interested in reading, it's Chapter 50 that specifically talks about the Paschal Mystery and Easter, like what we were talking about today. So they're very short chapters in that book. So I highly encourage you to read that one just to kind of help you on your journey through the seven weeks of Easter. Don't forget that we have the audio version of The Religious Potential of the Child by Sophia Cavaletti, read by Rebecca Royt Savage. And so if you would like access to the audio version of that book, look in our show notes for how to purchase access to it. This podcast is sponsored by the United States Association of the Catechesis of the Good Shepherd. We would like to thank all the contributing members because you are making this podcast possible. If you would like to know more about Catechesis of the Good Shepherd, or if you would like to become a member, please go to cgsusa.org. Thank you all for listening this week. We will see you in two weeks. Go and fall more deeply in love with God.